Spirit is speaking to you. So as Jessica already mentioned, last week was Easter Sunday. It is the Sunday, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It is the day we remember um, Jesus coming from, life, from death unto life and how that impacts us today. And we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at stories that occur after the resurrection. So stories of Jesus interacting with various people post-resurrection. So we're going to spend a few weeks looking at that. And today we're going to be looking at John chapter 21 and looking at the story of Peter. It's going to be a little bit different than normal today. I think I was thinking it'd be cool to just go through the story of Peter. Look at the story of Peter. I really like the story of Peter personally. Uh, he, I mean, first off, we get the most insight into his life than any other disciple in the Gospels. Besides Jesus, the only other character we learn the most about is Peter. And I like his life trajectory because I can relate to it. He messes up a lot. <laughs> he makes a lot of bold, brash statements. He has really high highs and really low lows. And I can relate to that. I can relate to that, the act of following Jesus and messing up a lot but just continually trying and picking ourselves up and experiencing the love and grace of Jesus, which I think Peter experiences. So we're going to start from the beginning of what we know about Peter and then take us to John chapter 21. Also, I don't know if I said it, but my name's Ben. I think I forgot to introduce, introduce myself at the beginning. My name's Ben. Normally I'm downstairs with the youth group at this time, um, but it's, I'm really glad I can be here this morning. Okay, so Peter. Peter was a first century Jew. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> it means that he was immersed, immersed in the story of the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. So Peter, from a young age, grew up hearing the stories of the Old Testament. He was told the stories about how God rescued Israel, how Israel was chosen to be a light to the nations, about how God is going to redeem Israel once more because they were under Roman rule and oppression. And he, he grew up hearing these stories. And at the beginning of uh, the Bible, of the Old Testament, is Genesis chapter 1. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it says that God created humanity, male and female, in his image. And that idea of being made in the image of God, it's more of a call to like what you do with your life. It's a call to a role, a function. It's not that I literally look like God. That's not what it's saying. In fact, that word image sometimes is translated as idol. So what it's saying is, you are representing God here on earth. So all of humanity was created to represent God here on earth. Uh, back then, some of the kings, they, they justified their authority over others by saying, I am made in the image of God. You are not, but I am. Therefore, you should bow down before me and, you know, let me take all your money and food. <laughs> uh, so that's how they justified their authority. But it's sort of revolutionary in Genesis where it says, no, no, not just the kings and queens are made in the image of God, but all hum humans are made in the image of God. So from the beginning, humans were created with a purpose to reflect God's goodness, God's beauty and love into the world, and then to reflect the world back to God. And you see that humans were put in this garden to tend and to keep the garden and to, to uh, work the soil to, to bring goodness and beauty and love out of the soil and spread the garden throughout the, throughout the universe. It makes it seem as though the garden, outside of the garden, is sort of chaos, and the humans were put in the garden to tend to it and spread God's goodness throughout the universe. But unfortunately, as many of you might know, humans decided to do their own thing. Humans decided, you know what, we're going to you know, define what's good, what is evil for ourselves, and it did not go well. 
In fact, the very first story after that happens is a story of a brother killing another brother. And then after that is a story of a guy named Lamech marrying multiple women and bragging to his multiple wives that he killed someone for just a slight insult. So things are just going downhill quickly. But within that, in the middle of that, God makes a promise. He promises that there will be a time when a descendant of Eve, that's the woman, one of her descendants will defeat death, will defeat evil. And that promise is carried throughout the Old Testament. And eventually, make a long story short, God chooses a people called Israel. They're chosen to be a light to the nations, uh, but they end up in slavery in Egypt. And then God goes and sort of beats up on the Egyptian gods and frees his people out of slavery and brings them out into the wilderness to the Mount Sinai, gives them the commandments and the law and brings them to the promised land. And uh, Israel is supposed to be the vehicle through which this Messiah enters the world. And also Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. But if you look at the story of Israel, there's a lot of great things. But in the Old Testament, there's also a lot of bad things. In fact, they start engaging in slavery just like the Egyptians did. They start falling after other gods and are engaging in child sacrifice, just like the nations around them. So they're really not looking like a light to the nations the way God called them to be. Eventually, they're actually exiled. They're conquered by different nations like Babylon and Assyria. And throughout all that, the prophets are talking about that, that person we talked about at the beginning, that snake crusher, the person who's going to defeat evil and defeat death. They're saying that is called the Messiah. And that Messiah is going to free us. Just like God freed us from slavery in Egypt, there will come another day where God is going to send his Messiah and his Messiah is going to redeem us and rescue us from whatever ruler they are under at the time. So Peter grew up hearing that. He grew up every Passover reading the story of the Exodus. He was filled with the hope that all of his forefathers for many generations were filled with, the hope and longing for this Messiah figure to finally show up and to redeem God's people. Every time they'd go to synagogue, these are the things they'd talk about. And in fact, a lot of Messiahs were even cropping up randomly uh, during that time period, but eventually their rebellions or whatever they're doing got squelched. So people claiming to be Messiah, but actually weren't. So that's what Peter grew up hearing. And Peter is a fisherman and he starts hearing rumblings. There's another Messiah, someone claiming to be Messiah. And his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus comes into his town and uh, uh, Peter has a mother-in-law who's very sick and Jesus shows up at his house and heals his mother-in-law. If I'm Peter, I'm thinking, all right, maybe there's a little more to this this, uh, supposed Messiah than the other ones. And then the next day, uh, because Jesus healed a lot of people when he was at Peter's house, there's a huge crowd around Jesus. And Peter had gone out fishing all night because that's how when they went fishing at at that sea, they'd go out all night fishing. So Peter's had a long night. They haven't caught anything, and he's washing the nets. So I think he's probably feeling like, you know what? I've had a long night. I just need to get these nets washed, then I can go sleep. And he's probably feeling a little discouraged. He didn't catch anything. And that's his livelihood. He doesn't have anything, food or money, no food or money to bring back to his family. So he's sitting there washing the nets and Jesus has this huge crowd pressing up against him. Then Jesus is like, hey, Peter, let me get into your boat and then I'll just, you know, go into the water a little bit, have a little space so I can breathe. And then I'm going to teach the crowd from here. Peter's like, all right, cool. And so Jesus gets into the boat and he's uh, preaching and teaching. And I, I, always, I always imagine Peter during that time being like, come on, hurry up. I want to go to bed. <laughs> like, can you, can you speed this up a little bit? I want to go to sleep. Um, 
And eventually Jesus is done teaching. He looks at Peter and says, hey, Peter, go into the deep water right over there and put your net down and you'll catch a bunch of fish. And Peter responds, well, we've been out all night. We haven't caught anything. And you can sort of read between the lines. Peter's like, Peter's like, okay, stay in your lane, buddy. I'm the professional fisherman here. <laughs> you might know a lot about the Old Testament. You might be the Messiah, but don't tell me how to fish. I've been out all night. I'm tired. I want to go to bed. I just finished washing the nets. Now you're going to make me go fish again and then wash the nets again. Oh, you know, he's, he seems a little annoyed, but he's like, all right, I'll go do what you say, if that's what you're saying. So he goes out, puts his net down. Lo and behold, a massive amount of fish. So much so that other boats have to come and help them carry uh, the fish to shore. And then Peter is just overwhelmed. And he falls on his knees in front of Jesus and says, he's like, stay away from me, Lord, stay away from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus is like, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. He said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Follow me. He tells him, follow me. And the rabbis back then, that's what they do. Whenever they found someone that they wanted to follow them, a disciple that would not just, you know, follow after and make their breakfast for them or something, but become them. Whenever they're inviting a disciple to follow them, they're inviting somebody to take their place in the long run. So here's Peter seeing this amazing miracle, multiple miracles. This person claiming to be the Messiah, preaching about the kingdom of God. That's exciting in and of itself. All right, maybe this, the, the Messiah has come. Maybe all of our hopes and longings and dreams that all my parents have been hoping for, I've been hoping for since I was a little baby, maybe they're finally coming true. But not only that, I get to be a part of it. Peter gets to be part of this, this uh, messianic kingdom. How exciting is that for Peter? I mean, I bet you he's pumped. So he leaves everything. It says he left everything behind. Even all the fish he just caught. <laughs> all that fish he just caught, left it all behind and followed Jesus. And he follows Jesus and, you know, the, he helps him with his work. He's learning from Jesus. And one point, Jesus is, uh, this is in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is asking the disciples, hey, who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, some say you're Moses, some say you're Elijah. Then Jesus looks at them and says, but no, who do you say I am? And Peter boldly responds, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it's the first time that's said out loud in the Gospel of Matthew, that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the Son of God. And Jesus is like, wow, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter, but God in heaven, the Holy Spirit, has revealed this to you and you are going to be a leader, you are going to be crucial to the formation of the church. You have a huge role to play in all this. And you see that in Peter's interactions with Jesus. Not only is he one of the 12, which represents the 12 tribes of Israel, right? Jesus is re, reconstituting, recreating the, the, the Israelite nation. And there's these 12 disciples and Peter gets to be one of the 12, but he's also one of the like, few, the three that's closest to Jesus. So, you know, Peter is feeling all the highs right now. He's feeling good about himself. I'm sure he's feeling excited. There's a purpose to his life. It's meaningful. Then we get to the night of Jesus's betrayal. They're having dinner together. Jesus says a lot of obscure statements that they're confused about. <laughs> he says that one of them's going to betray him. Turns out it's Judas, Judas leaves. And then Jesus is like, yeah, where I'm going, you can't follow. And they're a little confused. And then Peter's like, well, where are you going? And he's like, where are you going? I'll follow you unto death. Peter's like, I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll even die for you. Have you ever had those moments where you've made bold proclamations 
about something you're going to do. Maybe like, I'm going to read my Bible every day, or I'm going to work out five times a week, or, you know, I'm going to eat, stop eating sugar. <laughs> Those are all things I've said recently. <laughs> and then when it comes down to it, struggle to actually follow through. This is Peter. It was a good heart. It was a good desire. I am going to follow you even unto death. Then Jesus looks at him and says, before the rooster crows, so before morning arrives, you're going to deny me three times. And if you're Peter, thinking, no way. No way. I'm too loyal to you. But then Jesus gets arrested. He's brought to the courtyard of the high priest. And Peter's able to get into the courtyard. And right away, there's a servant girl around a fire with Peter. So they're around this fire. And she says, hey, aren't you uh, one of the followers of Jesus, one of his disciples? What does he say? No, no, I, I don't know who you're talking about. That's not me. And then someone else comes near the fire. Hmm, aren't you a Galilean? Like, you sort of sound like you're one of his disciples. Pfft, no, I don't know who you're talking about. Not me. Third person around the fire. Aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? No, I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. Resolute in denying Jesus. And then you hear the, the rooster crows three times. Or not, the rooster crows. And it says that when Peter heard the rooster crow, he realized what he had done. And it says that he wept bitterly. He wept. He was full of grief, full of guilt, maybe full of shame over what he had done. Just put yourself in his shoes. He's dealing with two losses right now. One, this Messiah figure that he thought was going to redeem Israel that him and his family had been hoping for forever is about to get crucified and does get crucified. And two, not only was this potentially the Messiah in his mind, it was his friend and he betrayed him in his hour of need. I think Peter is feeling a loss of hope, maybe despair even. So Jesus is crucified and the disciples just don't know what to do. And then three days later, there's reports. The tomb is empty. Mary Magdalene saw Jesus. Peter goes to the tomb, sees that's empty and that Jesus' clothes are there and he's not really sure what to believe. He's full of wonder, it says. And then all the disciples are together and bam, Jesus shows up and is like, peace be upon you. He shows them the scars on his hands and on his feet and on his side and they're blown away. And then he commissions, commissions them and says, as the father sent me. So just like the father sent me, this is Jesus speaking, um, to be on mission in this world, to redeem and restore this world. Now I am sending you. So he sends the disciples on mission. But he still hasn't really had that one-on-one -on -one interaction with Peter. Remember, Peter and Jesus were pretty close and Peter denied him. So that's the background for John 20, 21, which I know is a lot of background, but uh, I think that helps us get into the state that Peter might have been in. So before we read John chapter 21, talk about this question with the person next to you, or you can just think about it yourself. If you were Peter, how would you be feeling? So you denied Jesus, put all of your hope into him, and now he's resurrected, and he's definitely the Messiah now, you're thinking. Um, uh, how would you be feeling? Just talk for about a minute and then uh, we'll get some thoughts.
Okay, if a few people want to share, I'd love to hear your responses. What would you be feeling? Yeah, Claire. Yeah, I hope he doesn't find out that I just denied him. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. yeah. Afraid. Afraid. Totally. Yeah. Afraid. I think I heard Mark say ashamed. Yeah, that's what I think that's what I'd be feeling. I'd be feeling ashamed. I'd be feeling sad. And I would also be wondering if maybe I'm not supposed to be part of this mission that Jesus is on anymore. Maybe. Yeah, it's exciting. The kingdom of God is here. The Messiah has arrived, but I've disqualified myself. I've disqualified myself. I denied the leader of the whole movement in front of multiple people three times in his hour of need. There's no way that Jesus will allow me to be part of this going forward. So Peter and the other disciples are together. And with all that in mind about what Peter's going through, he says, I'm going fishing. You know, what do we do whenever we're feeling hopeless? Whenever we're feeling sad, we go back to what we know. And Peter knows fishing. So let's read John chapter 21, verses, uh, John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. And it's up on the screen as well. Or it should be. Okay, there you go. Okay. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. Sorry, it's not showing up on my... Okay, I'll read it from here. <laughs> Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Can somebody change it from there? For some reason, it's not working on, my, on the iPad. Thank you. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Well, what does that remind If you're Peter, what does that remind you of? That moment of not being able to catch anything all night, you throw your net in the water, and then catch a ton because someone told you. What does that remind you of? the very first time Jesus called you to be his disciple. Okay, so the disciple who Jesus loved said, it's the Lord. And then as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. 
The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Okay, so hopefully you can see all the symbolism in the story based on Peter's life. So you have, uh, first off, you have Peter knowing that's Jesus because of a fishing, catching a ton of fish because Jesus tells him to put it somewhere. And then Peter gets super pumped. He's like, I can't even wait for the boat to get ashore. I'm jumping in. He swims to Jesus, gets to shore. Jesus already has bread and fish and is cooking it for them. It's pretty cool. Jesus cooking them breakfast and gets there, helps to drag it ashore. And what does it remind you of? He's around a fire again, just like the time he denied Jesus. He's around a fire once more. And, once, and just like he denied Jesus three times, now Jesus asks him three times, Simon, Peter, do you love me? And his, his response is interesting because he says, yes, Lord, you know that I do. See, I wonder, sometimes we can have, we can have so so much confusion inside us, the only thing we can hope for is that God knows our heart. <laughs> that God knows where we're at. Yeah, I messed up, God. Yes, Jesus, I messed up. But you know my heart. You know that there is at least a kernel of love in there for you. You know that there's at least a kernel of trust and faith in who you are. You know that. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And that, that is re- referring to this idea that Jesus refers to the, his followers as sheep. And he is the great shepherd. So we are the sheep, he is a shepherd, he takes care of us. Uh, and so he's saying to Peter, not only are you loved and forgiven, but you are recommissioned. You are still one of those 12 disciples. You are still involved in the mission of the kingdom of God to redeem and restore this world. Yes, you messed up. Yes, you messed up, but you still get to be involved in my plan. So he tells them to feed my sheep. And then at the very end, you hear that Jesus saying to him again, follow me, just like when Jesus first interacted with Peter and he said, follow me, and Peter left everything behind to follow Jesus. So you see all this symbolism in the story of Peter that I think is really cool. So it's this moment where Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity to sort of reconfirm his uh, trust and his faith and love for Jesus. And I think there's three things that we can learn from the story. First, there is grace. There is grace. You know, I mess up all the time. And if you're anything like every other human in the world, you mess up as well. We all sin. We all fail to love God and we all fail to love our neighbor, at least the way they deserve. We all mess up. And sin is serious. It really is. Sin is serious. And it was on the cross that Jesus carried our sin. It was on the cross that Jesus bore our sin, our suffering, our pain. But what the resurrection tells us and the story of Peter shows us, the love of God is far more powerful than anything you have ever done. The love of God is far more powerful than anything you've done in the past or are currently doing now. There is grace for you. And not only um, is there grace, but there's hope. There's hope for change. You know, Peter had these ups and downs, betrayed Jesus, and then there's this weird part at the end there where it talks about the way in which Peter would die. 
and it says his hands will be spread out. That's like a euphemism for being crucified. And uh, according to some writers, early Christian writers, G, uh, Peter was crucified for believing in Jesus in the persecution by Nero around 60 AD. He was crucified, and supposedly, according to the legend, he, uh, he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified the way his Lord was crucified. So Peter changed. There's hope. He went from being the person who denied knowing Jesus to a random girl around a fire to dying and being crucified in Rome on behalf of his Lord and Savior. So there's grace and there is hope for change. Third thing, third thing, you have a purpose to your existence. It's really easy to fall into despair, to this idea that nothing I do matters. I have no meaning or purpose to my life. What's beautiful with the story of Peter is that he finds a purpose greater than himself. See, we talked at the beginning about the idea of being made in the image of God. And the purpose and the, the function of that is to, is to tend to the earth, to cultivate God's goodness and beauty and love and spread it throughout this universe. And Jesus came to show us how to do that. Because we often fail in doing that and living up to that, living up to our purpose. And Jesus has come to love us, to show us forgiveness, to give us hope, and to give us purpose once more. So I don't know what your giftings are. I think everyone's purpose and meaning in life is slightly different. I mean, all of our, it's all wrapped around the idea of cultivating God's love and goodness in this world. But the way you do that is going to be very different than maybe the way I do it or the person next to you does it. So think about your gifts, your talents. What has God entrusted you with? And how are you using that to love God and love your neighbor? Because you have a purpose in this life. You have a purpose because you are created in the image of God. You are a beloved son and a beloved daughter of the creator of this universe. At this time, I'd like to invite the worship team up. There's a couple connection card questions that you can write your responses on the paper. If you're here in person, you can write it on the paper and then drop them off in the boxes as you exit. If you're online, there's a tab there where you can write your responses to this. I hope you can be encouraged by the story of Peter. Peter had a lot of ups and downs, and he's just like many of us. I hope you can be encouraged by that. So, connection card questions. What do you hear? What do you hear? And then second, what is the Holy Spirit inviting you into? Let's pray. Father, Son, Spirit, thank you that you're with us and you're for us. Thank you that your grace abounds and knows no boundaries. Thank you, God, that your love is far more powerful than any sin I might commit. Thank you, God, that your love is far more powerful than any sin anybody here might commit. Thank you that there is grace no matter what. And God, thank you that there is hope for change. I pray that we would experience that hope, that resurrection hope, that whatever, whatever guilt or sin or shame is holding us down, that you would free us from it. Free us from it so that we can live into the purpose of being image bearers. Live it into um, what you've created us to be, to cultivate your love and goodness in this world. I pray that we would know your forgiveness and your love wherever we go, and that we would just share that with whoever we interact with. In your name we pray, amen.